in a constantly changing world. Today is as simple as it gets. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast to explore, experiment, and power up your leadership to make the difference to your business, your people, and your success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we dig deep into global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. So welcome to the first ever episode of the Leadership Enigma and massive thank you for listening in. So as promised by the intro, we are going to go straight into the world of undercover policing and hostage negotiation. And I'm absolutely delighted to welcome very good friend and colleague Kevin O'Leary to the first ever episode. Kevin, welcome. Thank you, Adam. Very delighted to be here. I hope you're ready for this. Now, Kevin has got an extraordinary background. He's a 30-year, now retired, but 30-year service detective with the Metropolitan Police. He was the head of covert policing and a hostage and kidnap negotiator. We'll come back to that later. He was also part of the command team of the London Olympics 2012, which he calls the school uh, Olympics, or you call it the school sports day, I think, don't you? Well, no, my, my so-called friends called it School Sports Day. Just School Sports Day. But it was the Olympics, honestly. Uh, he's also the CEO of Red Leadership, and they've been responsible for some extraordinary experiential leadership, which I've been involved in as well. And Kevin, you know, we delivered the big crime drama, Operation Benedict, globally to Google, which was a fond memory, wasn't it? Fantastic experience. And also, he is the person behind Zombie Apocalypse. Again, that's a story for another day. Uh, but if you're an avid TV watcher, he's the series uh, advisor and the referee, more importantly, to the award-winning Hunted on Channel 4 and also Sky's The Heist. So that is an amazing background. Kevin, give us some career highlights. Where would you go? Do you know, I, um, I, I look back on it and I don't know where 30 years went and how quickly it went it was just amazing you still look um, very young by the way of course yeah I lied about my age to join the job but, uh, <laughs> um, but you know I started out on the beat in North London as everyone did in those days we all started out as uniformed constables and um, when I left uh, the service you would have thought my last few years or perhaps last 10 years where I did some of the more senior more interesting things would have been my abiding memories but actually I kind of looked back, probably with rose-tinted glasses, on my early years, right. you know, patrolling the streets on foot, in cars, chasing baddies in, you know, fast cars and, you know, running through the streets of North London. It was great fun. I had, a, I had an absolute blast. I suppose then in the later years, when you start getting promoted and get more responsibility, uh, you kind of step away a little bit from the front line, although I'm quite proud to say that for most of my service I remained operational and uh, I'm very grateful for it I had a great career and would I do it all again yeah yeah in a, in a heartbeat of course yeah. you would of course you would now Kevin and I have known each other for uh, I'm coughing here to disguise about 25 years because I uh, was a police officer myself but only for six years in between a legal career but that's a story for another day and that's how we first met and I think you know you've had an amazing career and you've done so much but you know, what are some of the, the biggest challenges, maybe, and that you've dealt with? Yeah, do you know, there's some things that you expect to deal with in, in a police career. You know, there's, I have a saying that you don't 
you don't always see people at their best and it's so true. So you expect a bit of a roll around on the floor every now and again when things uh, uh, don't go according to plan. You expect to see some absolute dire situations and some people in, in, uh, in difficulty, some victims of crime, some people yeah. who die before their time and all those things. You know, some of the biggest challenges I think were actually leading people who of their own accord are leaders and are also sometimes quite, quite strong-willed. And I think there's quite a lot of uh, police officers that, that uh, get to work in specialist teams uh, who are quite talented, but you've got to manage those people. They can be tricky to lead sometimes um, because they're quite headstrong. Well, now you were the head, weren't you, of the Met Police's or the Metropolitan Police's Covert Policing Command, I think for what, eight years? Well, it was the Covert Operations Team. So it's the, it's the undercover teams where uh, police officers act as though they were criminals and terrorists, go in behind right. enemy lines, as it were, and get the intelligence and evidence and come out at the end of it. Um, and everyone goes to jail hopefully it's <laughs> the stuff that good hollywood films are made of Kevin. Yeah, yeah it's quite you know some of it's like that and quite a bit of it as you would imagine isn't um because hollywood doesn't show the sort of the boring sides of it it shows the the, the glamour the thrill the excitement and the risk and certainly you know some of that is there although i i would challenge you know undercover officers to to uh, to admit that living on a council estate in a, a fairly poor area with a battered old car is, uh, is glamorous. They would say it probably isn't. So the, old, the Miami Vice routine, you know, <laughs> yeah. of, uh, Ferraris, sharp, sharp suits, a uh, penthouse apartment, and yeah, the Ferrari. Uh, it's not quite like that. Not quite like uh, Bad Boys, which is no, a great film. Really. But, all right. But, but they're great work. They, I mean, these, these officers that go in to do this work, they're, they're taking huge risks. They don't get paid any more money than uh, any other cop of the same rank and service. So they're very brave souls, uh, and I salute their courage. Um, and you know, it was uh, they were certainly going out on a limb yeah. for the organisation and and for the the people of London and actually uh, the whole country because they would they would quite often be deployed away from London different investigations yeah no i had a chance to meet a couple of undercover officers in my short police career kevin and uh they were quite extraordinary individuals i certainly uh, couldn't have done that didn't have the skill set for it so mm. and you, you've had a number of leadership roles within the police and you were part of the command team for uh, the london olympics which was a huge success and obviously in your role now you're working with global leaders uh, across sectors and across geographies so, you know, kind of what are some of the, the things that you're learning? Because we're always still learning. What are some of the things that you're still learning in your career? Well, you know, some of the things I say in, or some of the things I've learned perhaps doing leadership. I remember speaking to a senior leader of a, of a company that made paper products. Right. And the, the product itself was quite unexciting. And then he told me about the dilemma he was thinking about and uh, was keeping him up at night. Uh, he had a multi-million euro piece of machinery yeah. to install at one plant or another. And he had to make a decision as to which plant he would install this machine in. Right. That would actually make it a game changer for a few years to come. But the problem with that is uh, the other site would have to close down. And he was looking at it and saying, whichever town I don't supply this piece of kit to, yeah. it probably kills the town. 
because we'll have to close the factory. The factory is the heartbeat of the town. All of the services, the, you know, the newspaper shop, the taxi drivers, the, the florist, the, you know, the restaurants are all served by the community or serve the community that actually go to work in this plant. Right, okay. Uh, and I, that struck me as thinking, well, actually, you know, you might be thinking that every decision that you make as a cop is life and death. Well, it isn't, but some of them are. But you look at the impact of that decision on a whole population and you think there's some senior people out there are struggling with some really difficult dilemmas and difficult decisions. And it's not just, you know, let's get the slide rule out and make it about economics. Yeah. It's about so much more than that. And we, we're finding that now, aren't we? Because as we're recording this, we're, we're still in the midst of a, a global pandemic with COVID-19. So perhaps even magnified for leaders and organisations at the moment. Do you know everyone's a crisis management expert now? Because <laughs> there right. is no yeah. scenario. That we didn't want create. to be, but we are. No. There's no scenario you could create for a desktop exercise that can top this, I can tell you. So everyone is learning about how to manage, how to lead, how to do things differently. And we'll we'll come out of it and you know we'll society will continue it will survive it will be changed forever yeah um but you know the the economy will bounce back eventually it always does well we're still learning i mean we're always learning aren't we i mean every ceo we've ever spoken to kevin has always said that he or she is continuously learning or even learning to unlearn if that makes sense yeah certainly Uh, i think we're going through that as well aren't we now yeah, so I mean, I suppose some of the things you think about as you progress it in any career, whether it's my old career or, you know, my current one, or leaders in their particular areas of expertise, as you get more senior, there are some things that you have to give up. You, don't, you can't be an expert and a doer at everything. Yeah, true. You have to, be, you have, to have some faith in the organisation, the people you're leading, to accept that actually they can do that better than I can. And actually it's their job to do it. Give them the support yep. that they need to do it and then get the hell out of their way and let them get on with it. So, yeah, you have to unlearn being the doer of everything and you have to unlearn the um, wanting that security of knowing how everything works and to be, to be as knowledgeable as the people who are doing that job day in and day out. You can't oh, do it. I agree. Let it go. So many of us oh, and so many leaders I meet have got to a position in the organization because of their expertise, their knowledge, their wisdom. And then suddenly they have to trade that, don't they, when they become senior leadership and they have to have that enterprise view and not that siloed or that deep expertise. And that's exactly what it's about. It's learning to let go of things, uh, being, being a little bit comfortable with people knowing more than you do about something. Um, and I think that's, you've got to have that little bit of humility in leadership to say, well, there's an expert there that does that job really well. I'm yep. now in charge of that expert or that department. I can't possibly acquire their level of knowledge in order to lead them. That's yep. not the role. You've just got to be confident in that. I can lead them by getting out of their way, enabling, supporting, and uh, letting them get on with the job. It's almost like the leadership dilemma, isn't it, Kevin, where you want to lead from the front, but you've also got to get out of their way and perhaps become a follower. Yeah. And um, yes, I mean, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think you would look at uh, certainly my view of the police leader of old was that they have to be quite charismatic. They have to have a strong leadership presence, be quite, um, uh, quite outgoing, 
perhaps be more extrovert than introvert, um, and lead from the front. You expect them to be out there making the decisions, taking charge of everything. Well, actually, that's not really the case. Actually, what you need to do is, is, um, is help people to do the job that they need to do, give them the support they need, give them the tools, give them the resources, uh, and manage their expectations sometimes when the resources aren't going to be forthcoming. You know, everyone has to work within the realities of a budget. Um, and yeah, I think it is a matter of, uh, of providing that, that leadership support, that, uh, that ability to enable them, rather than thinking you have to do everything and lead everything from the front, because you don't. And actually, you can't. And there's something specific that I want to ask you about there, Kevin, because I know it's something that I've seen you uh, make reference to on some of the global leadership programs that we work together on, and that's commander's intent. Oh, yeah. uh, very relevant to you know the the background that you have. I think so relevant to leadership now and beyond the, the current crisis that we're living through. Just help the listeners understand what do we mean by commander's intent. So uh, commander's intent for me is the uh, is the the metaphor that we use uh, to encourage leaders to create and communicate a a crisp, clear message to everyone about what success looks like. Right, and, and by having a simple, clear message like that, it encourages initiative, improvisation, and and adaptive leadership. So that it's not things aren't being carried out uh, by management diktats. Yeah, they're actually being carried out on the initiative of the people who are facing the problem or are closer to the situation. And commander's intent. Um, so let me let me give you an example. Yeah, give you an example in, from your, your old world. Yeah. So in, uh, for, perhaps for a, for a brief period back in the nineties, I was in the, the world of child protection, which right. was uh, a real eye opener. I was working in an inner city um, uh, district, and um, you know, hats off to the social services people there because they did an amazing job. It really opened my eyes to the work that some of the other public services do, because we had to work very closely in partnership with them. And my cop's instinct was to want to wrap all these vulnerable youngsters up and take them home and lock up everyone who would dare to confront them with any form of harm at all. Right. But actually, you can't do that because the commander's intent in child protection is that the welfare of the child is paramount. And when you use that mantra and say, is this the right thing for the child right now? And often taking enforcement action wasn't the right thing to do. Okay. Thank goodness for the social services who had a range of tools uh, and uh, things that they could resort to, to support families because the heavy handed, you know, cop with a size 10 shoes coming in yep. um, and screwing things up was not ideal. We were there to offer that enforcement and that investigation. Um, but actually, that was a tool that was often used as the last resort, not the first. Okay. Let, let me talk about kidnaps as well, because that was a fascinating area of work. Um, you know, that's, that's uh, something that I did as a negotiator, as part of the investigation. At the, at the front end of the investigation, I would go to the person who was receiving the demand. Right. For the ransom, so wow. whatever the situation was. So that could and be I'd, almost a family member or something like that, yes? Yeah, so I'd, I'd have to negotiate with um, or through that person because, you know, kidnaps are usually a covert operation. So we wouldn't want the bad guys to know the cops are involved. I see. And throughout the investigation, uh, we would have the mantra, the commander's intent, 
which was that the safe release of the hostage is our number one priority. So that's the North Star, isn't it, really, Kevin? Exactly that. And what we're trying to do here is to remind everyone um, what our actual number one priority is, of course. And that was repeated almost hourly in the, uh, wow. in the data lines of the electronic messages that were going around, yep. on the boards in the operations room. Um, but also, you're thinking, about, you're thinking ahead. If something does go wrong, we want to be able to show everyone who would be scrutinizing our actions afterwards what our focus was. And so that was repeated again and again and again as again the primary again. message. At every handover point, it was right. repeated. Okay. And, you know, the other, the other things, you think, well, what else would be the priority? Well, there's a ransom on the road, not, and that's quite a lot of money. It could be on the road. There's also things like, you know, do we want to arrest all the bad guys? Do we want to actually um, dismantle the criminal network? Do we yep. want to make sure it never happens again? Well, yes, of course we do. But they were always secondary to our commander's intent of the safe release of the hostage. Right. So how does a leader translate that now? You know, bring that into their, maybe they're, they're an entrepreneur, maybe they're a corporate executive. I don't know. How do they bring that across? So for me, I think this is about understanding what the purpose is of an organization. Right. So it might be, you know, you, you might have multiple things that you do as an organization, but what are you actually there for? What are you trying to do? Um, what value are you adding to society through your products, your services, or whatever it might be? Yeah. What will people look to your organization and go, ah, oh, that's what they do. That's what they're all about. So if they, you know, this is, I'm not just talking about a slogan here or some kind of phrase that you would use in an advertising. It's campaign. a non-negotiable in a way, isn't it? It means much more than that. It means it's your actual purpose as an organization. So, so Kevin, I'm assuming there was a command's intent for the Olympics when you were, were there in 2012. There, there was a uh, commander's intent for the Olympics was devised with the, the senior police officers and our home office or our interior ministry for those from okay. that, that government department that was in charge of the security uh, for the games. And the message to everyone involved was that we were there to deliver a safe and secure games in keeping with the Olympic culture and spirit. And this was so important in helping us to communicate to officers and staff that this wasn't a security operation around which the games would pivot to accommodate the operational requirements of the police and security services, but a celebration of sports with a unique right. culture and spirit. So we were there to support, to serve and enable, and otherwise get the hell out of the way. And it was a huge success. It was. Um, you know, I think we prepared for absolutely everything. We had uh, battleships on the Thames. We had missile launchers on tower blocks across <laughs> London. Uh, the biggest problem during the Olympics is that it, it's a, first of all, it's a beacon for protest. And we knew that was coming and we managed that. Yeah. The problem is, is that uh, lots of people come to the Olympics and they bring their valuables and their passports and some currency and they're a target for thieves. And so we were plagued by petty but organized thieves. So right. by the time you, you aggregate it all up, it's not petty at all. It was quite a problem. Probably quite pleased that was the worst you had to deal with. I suppose it was, really. I think we were thinking that of all sorts of things that could have gone wrong that didn't, and we're grateful for that. I spent all of the time in an underground bunker in central London, so I saw very little of it. I came out in September with prison pallor. Sunshine all that summer. But success, and as you say, for uh, uh, tea and medals afterwards. Yeah, well, what a great experience. Yeah, it really was. Kevin, this has been absolutely brilliant. So I, I always finish off with some rather random questions, and, and here they are. Um, what's your favourite hobby? Well, a favourite hobby. Do you know what I found myself doing in lockdown? 
and I think I've revealed something about myself here, is that, and you're hearing it first, I think I'm a bit of a petrol head. <laughs> you you may need to explain that term. Well, I love old cars, and I'm not talking about, you know, your, your, the top of the tree of top gear, you know, your Murchilagos, your Koenigseggs. You know, give me a 30-year-old British-built car that's still in good condition. And I'm watching people on YouTube at the moment fixing up old cars and, uh, you know, making them survive when really they're probably fit for the scrappy. It's probably because that's kind of all I could afford back in the day. <laughs> you know, what happens to a car when it gets to the end of its useful life? Uh, I buy it. What's the favourite out of that then? Um... My favourite, actually, because I own an old Land Rover, I'm watching Land Rovers at the moment, and I'm, uh, yeah, I kind of like them. Um, also, what's your favourite word? Ah, do you know what? This is, that's a really good question. Um, I follow um, somebody on Twitter. Yeah. Um, Kevin O'Leary123, if you want to follow me on Twitter, by the way. Um, and she's the lexicographer on a programme over here called Countdown. And her Twitter account, she comes out with some great little words. Right. And the word this week was ultra crepidarian. I, I profess, I don't know what that means, Kevin. Help us. An ultra crepidarian is somebody who gives opinions on sub- subjects they know nothing about. Um, Relevant and, at the moment. Well, if you look on Twitter, there's lots of people there giving uh, their opinions on subjects they know nothing about. That's social media just across the board, really, I think, isn't it? And my last slightly random question is, what would be your best advice to a 21-year-old self? I think it would be uh, not to worry about it too much. Um, It's going to be okay. Uh, You know, there's... um, I I didn't have a career plan. I didn't have a plan for life at all. I kind of just bounced along and got lucky a few times. And I just tell my 21-year-old self to... Don't worry about planning too much. Just go with it. Opportunities will come your way. Um, uh, Each one is a crossroads, but whichever way you go, there'll be another crossroads in a couple of years and you can can course correct then if you want to. Kevin, brilliant. Many thanks. Well, you have been a superstar. Uh, This is the first ever episode of many for the Leadership Enigma and I hope that you'll come back and visit us again. I'd love to. I hope I haven't bored both of your listeners uh, too much with my waffle. (laughs) Got to start somewhere. Got to start somewhere. I'm sure you'll have very many. Kev, it's been brilliant. Take care, my friend. Join us again next week for more essential insights on the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or via our website, www.pca-global.com. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.